Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Wow, guys, it is so good to be with you here today. Uh, as Pete said, uh, there's just so much living and life that I have done with Chi Alpha and this group in particular, and I don't need to tell you that you guys know you're part of something really special here. Um, even just being in this building in City Church, so many baptisms, so many worship nights, so many senior banquets, so many sweet moments um, that we, even though I have never met so many of you guys, that we're part of this legacy that God is writing, and it is so good to be here and sharing with you today. And I was so pleased to uh, be invited to come and share on the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. I uh, started reading Ephesians actually a little bit more closely when Pete had mentioned when I was a student that it was one of his favorites. And I was like, oh, it's one of Pete's favorites then. I should probably read it. And it's dense and beautiful and so full of God's heart for uh, reconciliations, God's heart for the nations, and like, like Pete said, I, I work overseas, and so there are a lot of things that are difficult about working overseas, but one of the fun things is that sometimes you get to take uh, trips to different interesting places, and my husband and I actually have had the pleasure of going to Ephesus ourselves, and there's actually a picture of us maybe on the slide for you guys to see. Um, in the picture, I'm smiling extra big, and that is not for my own benefit, but because my husband is next to me there, and my husband has studied the life of Paul very closely. He loves history. He loves the word, and he smiled so big all the hours that we walked around that place. It was like one of a, just a beautiful day uh, in a beautiful time seeing the history of this church and just touching this history. As Pete said, we have uh, two kids. There's a picture of them as well. We have a son and a daughter, and um, in the culture that we've been serving in, uh, to be an older brother is to be a big deal, and so my, my son has taken on that mental with joy, and they have a really beautiful relationship. We, uh, we love them so much. So when we, the, the way I'd like to start tonight as we uh, jump into talking about this book of Ephesians is I wanted to share a story with you actually about when I uh, lived in the hub. So when I lived in the hub... I was walking down Stadium Road one day, and I was feeling really burdened. I don't remember all the circumstances. I think I'd been up late for some tests. I think the ladies that I was mentoring in my core group were having a tough time, and I was just feeling physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And I was having this little, this little conversation with the Lord of, you know, Lord, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but it doesn't really feel that way right now. So why don't you remind me about why your yoke is easy and your burden is light? And I kid you not, I took like two steps and then just the Holy Spirit just flooded my mind with a bunch of quick statements. I won't be able to do it justice, but it was like, when's the last time you had to be afraid of death? When's the last time you wondered if you had any purpose? When's the last time you felt like you had to perform in order to have value? When's the last time you wondered if you were loved unconditionally for who you are? There were other things too, but those are the ones that came immediately to mind. And it was like, whoa, wow. Like, I haven't carried any of those for a long time. I was like, yeah, because I took them. I took them. (laughs) And I just had this revelation of like, wow, like God, what you've done 
for me is so beautiful and so good. And then I started thinking about, I wonder how many people walking around grounds remain under that burden and are asking themselves those questions today too, but they don't have the answer or the peace that, that God just talked to me about just now. So I went home. <laughs> I, started, I kept on walking down Stadium Road, and uh, I felt lighter. I felt more grateful. And I also felt more passionate for my peers, more compassionate for all the people around the world that ask those same questions, that have those same concerns, and have never had anyone tell them about the value and the beauty and the treasure that we have in Jesus. So that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground in a little bit of time. But I know you guys, as you've been going through the book of Ephesians, I know there's certain things that you guys have been highlighting. I know you've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you've talked about um, diversity and unity in the body. Talk about the identity that we have in Christ. But there's so many themes that Paul is trying to put to words in the book of Ephesians that I wanted to see, uh, just make this case as we're heading into this passage so you can get the most out of it as you can. So one of the themes that Paul has been bringing to light in this book of Ephesians in the first two chapters is he's trying to put to words the immense value and treasure and beauty of what we've been given in Christ. So when you see in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about his, the riches of Christ's grace that have been richly poured on, out on us. We see later in uh, 114, he talks about our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Later in chapter 1, he talks about the wealth of Christ's glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And he talks about the immeasurable riches of his grace. So you see that Paul is trying to put into words what is incalculable, impossible to put into words in the value that we have been given in Christ. And there's this rich image that he's been trying to bring to the surface of this shared inheritance that we have as adopted sons and daughters of the king. And in that, we talk about this provision, power, these immense resources that we have, this intense, beautiful relational richness and identity that we have by coming into the Father's household and this collective identity that we have as brothers and sisters that breaks down worldly barriers. I have this crown picture, yes. So we think about one other aspect if we talk about having this inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of Christ. There's also, if you're placed into the royal family, then there's some weighty responsibilities that come upon you as you're placed in there. And that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit, is this responsibility that we have. So that's a lot of information I just flew through. So let me say, what's my point? My point is that you will not understand all that you can out of this passage until you've begun to grasp the mind-blowing value, this precious gift of what we've been given in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what drove Paul. It's what's behind everything in this passage. So that's why I wanted to make the point that I did at the start. So as we look at this passage today, it starts in Ephesians chapter 3. We're reading verses 1 to 13. This is kind of a funny, interesting passage. Uh, Paul's going to pray, and then in the middle of going to pray, he does this aside where he tells you about his story, his revelation, how he started and how he played this role, this thing that set him on the trajectory of his incredible life. And so you also can't actually understand this passage until you know a little bit about that background. So I'm going to fly over that a little bit before we, draw, before we get into the scriptures, but we're going to look at it more closely a little bit later in the sermon. Paul 
was raised as a Jew. He was a zealot and a, and a Pharisee. He was raised in a very specific way. He believed that he had to for, follow a very strict form of Judaism. And in line with that worldview, he considered Christianity to be a terrible heresy. And he persecuted it. And God got his attention as he was on the way to persecute people through a direct revelation. There was bright light, audible voice of God, rebuking him by name in his native language. And through that revelation is where we get the man that we know and love and what drove him. I have this image. Yes, the black opal. So in verse, in, in verse 10 of this passage, we talk about something called the manifold wisdom of God, also called the multifaceted, multivaried. Uh, I think literally it means multicolored, so that's why I have this black opal. And this revelation that Paul received, it's not one-dimensional. He had this encounter with this complex, beautiful God that was like a trifecta purpose in what it did in his life and what it explained to him about who God is and the role that he would play as he followed Jesus. And so I have this image to kind of ground you as we try to pick apart what this revelation did and what it meant for him. Because it's just like, again, trying to do what Paul does, uh, trying to do what Paul's trying to do to give an image to this incredible complexity and beauty of who Jesus is and what it means as we follow him. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go on and actually begin to read this passage. Okay. I'm going to pray real quick before we open the way. God, I ask that you would open our hearts tonight to receive from your word. You would teach us anew the beauty of your plans, that you would edify this body, that you would send us out as, as grateful ambassadors for you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, starting in verse 1, here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, here comes the aside. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in, in other generations, and is now, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. So the first facet of this beautiful, black opal, multifaceted beauty is that the riches in Christ are to be extended to all people. And I think that, you know, us in the Christian world, we can kind of take that for granted because we've heard about it a lot. But for Paul, this was revolutionary. As I said before, Paul had been raised... Jewish, strict Jewish upbringing. He knew that God had been giving hints about this Messiah that would be coming and had, um, he needed this revelation to understand that the, this dividing wall of hostility that you guys maybe heard about last week had been broken and that this good news gospel gift, this revelation that the Messiah had come, that all that Paul had longed for was realized was not just for Paul and his people, but for all people. And you see Paul in his early days of following Jesus, mostly focusing on sharing with other Jewish people, which makes sense because they have this shared history, they have this shared background, and of course he can share most effectively with that people. But you have to give Paul credit because he really took the value of this, this multifaceted value of that this, this 
gospel was for the Gentiles, and he took the zeal that he had under his former worldview with Judaism, placed it under submission to Christ, and ran with it with all that he had, crossing all the barriers that he, all the all the racial, cultural barriers, because he understood that this was God's heart. And here's the thing. It's true for us, too, that going to people like us is the easiest way for us to share the gospel. It, it's the most comfortable and often the most effective. But if the riches in Christ are as valuable as we say that we believe, there are no kinds of people that we get to predecide not to share this treasure of the gospel with. And there should be no kinds of people that if God says go, we say no. That is not the heart of Christ. And as we had talked about, as, as we all know, because all people are equal under the eyes of God, all people have those same burdens that I talked about in my first story, all of us are going to die. All of us have experienced sin and participated in sin and have these huge questions about the nature of humanity, the, the nature of eternity. And we know, and we've had those questions answered for us, the human heart longs for what is offered in Jesus, whether people know it or not, whether their worldview has allowed for those questions or not. So I have a question for you guys. Which kinds of groups of people are the hardest for you to go and share with? Are the people that you predecide they won't get it? They're not interested. They're not open. Do you look with human eyes at how they look or how they dress or the groups they hang out with and decide, ah, I'm not going to give it a go? And I don't say that with any kind of judgment because I have been the person at times. I've heard the Spirit say, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, go pray with that person. And I let my human eyes say, nah, there, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> Instead of responding in faith. So I don't say that with any kind of judgment, but with an awareness of if we keep in our minds the immense value of what we have in Christ and the fact that his gospel is for all people, we will be less likely to bow to fear and more likely to respond in faith, and more likely to see this treasure of Christ taken to all people. So, let's step into the next section. We talk about another aspect of this beautiful black opal revelation that Paul received from this encounter that he had with Jesus. We're going to start in verse 7, chapter 3, and read on. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given to me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of, his, of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And so we see here that God gave Paul a specific cross-cultural focus for his ministry. That was part of the revelation that he gave him. He said, you have a role to play, and it's cross-cultural. That's one of the focuses I have for you. We can go ahead and actually read his specific account of this. Uh, it's given most fully in Acts 26, 15. Uh, 26, I'm going to start in verse 15. So this is Paul's words, Paul's encounter, Paul's revelation that he received from Jesus. He's, uh, he's heard a loud voice. He's heard a teen of bright thing, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And the voice responds, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see. I will rescue you and from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, that is the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we see, as we said before, that Jesus himself specifically gave Paul a cross-cultural focus and role to play in the advancement of the church. But I love how Paul talks about this calling, the specific role that God gave him. He says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That Paul says, It is a grace and a riches of God that you asked me to do this. And he does it with joy. And it made me think a little bit about um, something that happened this past Christmas with my son. So we came back um, just in time for Christmas, and my son's experiencing American Christmas for the, first, for the first time in America that he can remember. And on Christmas, Christmas Day, uh, as we'd been passing gifts around, and Jonathan comes up like last with one of the gifts, and he's like got this little gift, and he's so excited to give it to me. There's this look of pride and joy on his face as he passes over this gift. And like inside, I kind of am laughing because I know that gift wasn't his idea. And uh, he didn't have the power to take himself to the store and get that. He doesn't have any money to pay for that gift. He doesn't have the physical ability to wrap that gift. No part of this gift story, like he, my mom had helped him and had taken him. But he was so pleased to have a role to play in delivering that gift. He was so pleased to be part of this Christmas tradition, part of the story of what we do on Christmas Day. And I think that's a lot of like how Paul thinks about what he's doing. The gospel wasn't his idea. It wasn't done in his power. It wasn't um, something that he could have ever thought of on his own. And yet God, in his mercy, because he loves to do things with us, gave him a role to play. And Paul plays it with joy. But not just that. He goes on to say in verse 10, Christ's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority. Ah, uh, wait. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Back up. Let's do that one again. Start in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord. So what he's saying is, Paul's not caught up on the fact that God gave him a revelation and God gave him a role to play. His passion is actually that the church become all that it was meant to be and that we all take up our roles as we are part of this divine story. So... I happen to work cross-culturally, just as Pete said. So I have a calling story, not as intense as Paul's, but dramatic like Paul's. Um, God had, when I was younger, some more gentle proddings talking to me about missions. And I was actually thinking, Pete, as you were sharing, I wonder if you were having those, those revelations the same time I was when I was younger, before I was even at UVA. Uh, when I was 15, I was in my history class, just two years in the Lord, 
my world history class, and I was looking at a book where I was learning about the Central Asia, and I was looking at a picture of a really famous building, and the Holy Spirit just said, hey, one day you're going to go there, and you're going to be part of trying to change what happened in this place. And I went, was that God? <laughs> I'm in history class. <laughs> okay, God. <laughs> and I kind of just like tucked it away. And a few years later, um, I, was, I was at UVA. I was a student. It was my second year of school. I was in Spanish class. I had a friend who was, um, she was from the nation that I was just serving in, and she was my most consistent partner in Spanish, and I was walking with her um, after class one day, and I was talking, and it's like, you know, I've never, I've never heard your language before. Would you speak a little for me? And she started to speak, and like, out of nowhere, this overflow of like, love for her and her culture, um, like, was springing out of my heart, and I'm like, is that good? Like, that's so weird. Like, I've heard plenty of foreign languages before. I've never had a reaction like that to the, what is this? And so I kind of like just tucked that away too. Um, just like assumed that maybe I hadn't, I just didn't know what to do with it. But then a couple years later when I was an intern, I think God was like, okay, I need to get her attention a little bit more specifically because she's, she's not catching what I'm putting down. And so I, I go to bed one night tired. And I was like, you know, I think I had been spent most of the day like washing mugs for the mug party or something like that. And I went to sleep, and I had this dream that rocked my world. Um, it was a dream I just knew things. So, boom, I'm placed down in the middle of this mountain range. I'm talking with a lady and her daughter, and I just know things. Like, I know that, that I'm a missionary. I know that I've been sharing Jesus with this, couple, with this, this mother and daughter. And I know that it's time for me to move from them to the next place. And I had this, like, really bittersweet feeling of, like, oh, it's so hard to leave them because I love them so much, but this even stronger feeling of being exactly in the center of God's will. And there was a peace and a joy that I cannot describe, that that's what I woke up to. And I was like, oh, man, (laughs) I think that was God. I kind of want to forget that happened, but I think that would be a mistake. So go and pray and say, you know, okay, God, if that's what you have, that is, that's a hard left from what I thought I was going to do. But, okay, let's do this. Confirm it, and we'll go there. And I said yes in that moment to that cross-cultural assignment. But walking that out was a wrestling process because I had a plan of what I thought my role was going to be. I had a 20-year plan. I was one of those students. <laughs> I had like a, okay, I'm going to go to grad school, and then I'm going to go to get my doctorate, pay off the debt from grad school with this awesome doctorate program. Maybe I'll go teach. I think I'm going to mentor students. I think I'm going to adopt kids. I think I'm going to be faithful to my church. I just had this idea of what my vibrant Christian love people in the marketplace life was going to look like. And I thought it was pretty good. I'm like, this is honoring to God. I was passionate about all those things. And I, and I am still passionate about all those things. I think those are wonderful, good roles to play but it's not the role that God had asked me to play. And so then there's this wrestling match between me and God of, was I going to stick to my plan and things that I could control and things that I could envision and keep it limited to my human understanding? Or was I going to lean into, lean into God, yield to what he was asking, let him place me where he wants to place me and begin to dream God-sized dreams, yielded to his, his leading? And I want to ask you, 
How about you? When you think about your desires for your, for your future, your gifts and your talents, do you consider them in light of the big picture of what God is doing on this earth? Are there things that he's spoken to you, either directly in the quietness of your soul, or through the mouths of other people who know and love the Lord, who, who speak, who have spoken things over you? Is there any places that he's begun to ask you things of you where there's some tension, where you're not sure if you're willing to walk that road, you're not sure if you're willing um, for the cost that would come along the way? And if that's true, we're going to keep on going because i got some good news for you and what Paul has to say about that. So let's read on, starting in verse 12 here. It says, In him, that is, Christ, and through faith in him, again, Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, we being all of us who follow Jesus. Freedom and confidence we have in Christ. And Paul says, I ask you, Gentile church, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And here's the thing you have to know about Paul in the context of this letter that he's writing. He's writing this message probably from his imprisonment in Rome while he's on house arrest after already been imprisoned in Caesarea for two years before that. And all of that because he chose to go to Jerusalem to continue to fight for unity in the church and the body. And it was Jews, his own people, people from Asia who had seen the ministry of what he was doing that had made a stink and got him in trouble and falsely accused him. And Paul knew, Paul had a strong hunch when he went to Jerusalem that things might end up this way. And what is he saying in these verses? It's like he's saying this. I'm in jail because I have lived boldly for your sakes, Gentile church. And I'm not sorry that I did so. I'm not sorry about any of it. I'm not sorry that it went. I'm not sorry that I fought for your legitimacy in the church. I'm not sorry that I came to Jerusalem. All of it was for the glory of God and for the edification of church, of the church and through the church to the whole world. And I'm not even sorry that God gave me this assignment. I am delighted that God would give me, who had done me, Paul, my best to cut off the church, such a significant role in blessing it and pushing it forward in the future. So when you think about this, Paul is this man who, to the end, fixated on the treasures of Christ, the gospel that he'd been given, and he chose to focus on the big picture story of what God was writing, so that even when it was hard for him, he was going to stay faithful to the role that God had given him, and he trusted other people to stay faithful to their roles, and that together they were going to do this, they were going to do this changing of the world to changing of lives. If the band wants to get ready to come on up. So as we're closing this message tonight, I know there's a lot of ground to cover. I hope I didn't lose you on the curves there. Um, there's a couple questions I, I want you guys to begin to ask. Are there any groups that you struggle to believe the gospel can touch, both here in the States and abroad? This means people in your family, your atheist friends, people who live down the hall, people who have different political views, people who have different faiths or different worldviews. Um, and 
I'm not advocating that you be unwise or insensitive in how you proclaim the, the gospel, but I am advocating that you be people of prayer, that you remind yourself often that the gospel is for all people and it's a, tre a treasure that the human heart longs for. I also want you to ask yourself, what roles has God given you to play? Maybe God has spoken to you like he did to me about serving the global church and working cross-culturally. Maybe you're having some of the same wrestling match that I had of, can I trust this placement that's so different from what I had planned for myself? Is it going to be worth it in the long run? I wanted to ask you guys, if there's anything that God needs to remind you of tonight, of things that he's spoken to you or other people have spoken to you. And are there any walls around your yeses to God? Places or circumstances that you're not willing to endure for their inconvenience and for their cost? And again, I don't say that with any kind of judgment because I have been in that place of wrestling of, is this worth it? And I just want to let you know <laughs> that we're all in this together. No matter what your role is as you walk forward in Christ, at some point that role is going to cost you. But I want you to know that you have brothers and sisters all around the world that are all running their races and that we are doing this thing together. This is a big family. It's a big race. And it is going to be worth it. Let me give the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, what God is doing at UVA is for something greater than UVA. Let's go follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.